I feel like it's it's so odd. I was I was telling my mom about doing this, um, and she was like, "Well, what are you going to talk about?" I'm like, "Death." Right. She's like, uh, really? There, there's like a, a a little tiny group of women that I know, and a lot of them just through the internet, who all within like a three to six month period, we all lost our dads. It's like this weird club or weird connection that we all have that it's like all right well we're in the shit now right <laughs> exactly who, who, can we, who can we talk to that knows what the hell we're going through nikki conrad is a webster county iowa supervisor her dad died less than a month before mine and we have been in each other's orbit since then and like survivors of a shipwreck we're sort of clinging to a piece of wood like Jack and Rose, except there was plenty of room on that piece of wood, Rose. The main point of this is to talk about Nikki's dad, Nick Conrad, who was a veteran and a mailman and an expert macaroni and cheese maker and about her 11 year old sister, Noelle, or as they called her, Ellie, who died when Nikki was only 14 years old. And the conversation is about grief and about understanding grief in the context of what we're living through now with COVID-19. The idea of anticipatory grief and the frustration that so many of us are feeling over the lack of seriousness or the lack of concern for fellow citizens as we go through this pandemic. Today on Dead to Me, Nikki talks about living through the pandemic with her grief while trying to be a leader in her community. She tells us a bit about Nick and Ellie and also tells me disturbingly what her favorite word is. I wasn't ready. But here she starts by telling me a bit about her dad. So, uh, where do you even start talking about my dad? Uh, he's, I'm trying to even think where to begin. He was, um, dad was a mailman, my, pretty much my whole life. Wow. Yeah. He was the uh, union president almost the entire time he was a mailman. He, he would be eternally tan at all moments. My high school sweetheart told him one time he had calves like he's never seen because he was walking all the time. Right. Uh, he would come home for lunch and he would cook craft macaroni and cheese. And for some reason, I don't know what it was. He would do it like the recipe, but it, it's the best mac and cheese I've ever had. <laughs> I don't know what he did do it. But every time I was like, yes, just give me all the mac and cheese. Right. Although Nikki's a native Iowan like me, she has moved around. She lived in New York. She lived in Chicago. And here she talks about when she found out about her dad's diagnosis. She was living in Chicago then. Uh, I was in my office at work and my mom called me and she said, are you working? And I said, yeah. And she goes, are you you know, are you in a place where you can talk? And so I, I closed my door and sat down and that's when she told me, you know, dad's been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Yeah, she tells me this news and I'm trying to process and I take the rest of the day off. And then 
it's just um, after that, you know, you learn as much as you possibly can. And then after that, he ended up determining that the neurologist that he was going to take, you know, was going to go to was going to be in Chicago. He could come visit me and also go to this incredible, you know, Parkinson's specific neurologist. Mm -hmm. And so they did. And, you know, you, you remember going to, you know, I remember going to these doctor's appointments with him and, and it was so beneficial because my mom lives with him every day. So she sees certain aspects of his Parkinsonism that I don't. And yet I will see, you know, leaps and bounds things yes. that she doesn't catch because she's with them every day. Right. And right. so the two of us banded together at these appointments and he'd try to, you know, laugh off some of his yep. symptoms. He's a, you know, yeah. he's a joker. Um, right. But we, you know, he ended up having to get real serious about it. And it really, I mean, I, I always knew it was serious. I knew that, you know, there's a finite amount of time that we would have him. Um, but it, it really was, it really hit home one particular time at the doctor's office at Northwestern because I went to go use the restroom and mom and dad were in the doctor's office, you know, in one of the rooms. And when I came back, they were talking and they were talking in these hushed tones. And my dad told my mom, uh, you know, Nedra, I understand if you want to leave me, this is going to be really bad. This is not going to get better. It's going to be bad. It's going to be probably one of the hardest things you've done. And I would completely understand if you decided you didn't want to be there. And I'm standing outside, like there's this tender moment and I don't want to be the, like a looky-loo, right. but I don't want to interrupt it either. <laughs> so I'm just kind of like, you know, hovering by the door. And my mom just looks at him and she says, Nick, you know, when I said for better, for worse and sickness and health, I meant it. And we've already been through hell and back together. I'm not going anywhere. And it was in that moment where it really struck me just how serious it was. And it also made me realize just how big my mom and dad's love for each other was. Right. So it's important to understand when Nikki says her parents have been to hell and back together, what that means. And so this is what that means. I lost my sister. My sister died. I yep. should use the proper terms. My sister died when I was 14. It was in 1989. She was 11. She dry drowned at swimming lessons. Oh my so God. That was, um, and I say that because I've lived with death the majority of my life. Like I, I, I was touched by it. I know it exists. I know what it feels like. I know what grief feels like. And so for the vast majority, you know, it, and it happened during the formative years. Yeah. So it, for lack of a better term, death and I have been pals for a long time. And I've sat with death and I've, I've been involved with death my almost my whole life and so i have this weird relationship with knowing that people die and knowing that people can die at any moment and and living a life where i have to tell people i love them at the end of a conversation because i didn't get that opportunity you know yep and 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 i think when you have that relationship with death it changes you in so many different ways 
I think it makes you more empathetic. I think it makes you more aware of the finality of life and that things can change at any moment. And one of the hardest things that I've experienced is coming to terms with the fact that, you know, when I'm, when I'm 14, it happened in the summer, when I'm 14 and I go into high school that fall, none of my friends have had any experience even remotely close. You know, they've had a pet die yeah, or no. goldfish right. or, a, or a grandma, you know, right. which has been, which is bad, but very, very different. And so I'm walking through life now at 14, knowing that there's something different about me because, okay, you know, Harry Potter. Yes. Okay. The Thestrals. Those I don't know. Okay. The Thestrals are the, the kind of, um, spoiler alert, the, the, <laughs> are the black things that come out of the, that, yeah. it, uh, that carry the carriages, I think it is yeah. you know, to Hogwarts and Luna can see them right? Because she has seen death before. And it's not until Harry has seen death, look him in the face that he can see them. And Luna's like, well, they've always been here. You just haven't been able to see them. And I, I feel like life, that's a, a really great way to explain what it's like to be somebody who knows what death is and somebody who isn't. You just can't see it. And so to go through life as a freshman in high school and know that I'm the only one who's able to see death and experience it is very lonesome. So as I explained, Nikki's dad died less than a month before mine. We started talking about death and frustration and, and anger over the way our fellow Iowans are discounting the seriousness of COVID-19. And the fact that people with COVID-19 often must die alone because of the nature of the disease. And I haven't gotten to a place of comfort or a place of grace that Nikki has for people that don't try to understand. But here's how she describes it. It's frustrating that other people don't get it. It's like, but you, you don't, you don't get what it's like because you haven't lived in it. And so there's a, there's a certain amount of grace I have to extend to people who have never had a real meaningful death touch them and, and had to grieve the way I've had to grieve. But it's also, on the other hand, it's super frustrating because they're saying all the wrong things or they're not acting like it's as big of a deal as it should be. And so I think of it that way with COVID is that for me, it's, in, it's incredibly serious because this is, this is the difference between getting to hang out with my mom more or having somebody breathe on her wrong. And now all of a sudden she's gone and now I've lost two parents in two years. For people who haven't had the privilege of seeing a parent out of the world. I mean, there's a lot of people that don't get that opportunity for socioeconomic reasons, for various reasons, by choice, by necessity. If you haven't been through that kind of significant death and, and the importance 
of being able to be with a person with your loved one when they die if that is their choice if that is something that you desire to be a part of as a final act as a family if you haven't been there you can't know what it's like you can't know how important that option is nikki gets it i don't think people understand it until they've been through it mm -hmm. which is incredibly frustrating because you're just like just put the you know put the cloth on your face what is the big deal mm -hmm. you, do you not understand that it's a matter of saving other people like where, where is your empathy where is your sense of community responsibility where is your love for your fellow man and woman and and it's so frustrating but i think at some level people just don't get it because they haven't been through it they don't get the gravity of the situation and then there are some people who are just, they have other agendas, you know, that wearing a mask doesn't fit in with what they want to be doing in their life right now, you know, for whatever reason, it's um, emasculating or, you know, whatever their little thoughts in their heads are, they just don't want to do it. And they have dug their heels in the sand that they're just not going to. Right. And it's, it's just, it's incredibly frustrating to to try to get people to understand the gravity of the situation when they willfully just don't want to. So the gravity of the situation is people dying. And the only way that Nikki and I can relate to it at this point, while she's had to deal with that with her sister, was most recently sitting with her father when he died. Here she talks about Nick's last night on Earth. And it happened relatively quickly. It was over the span of just a couple of days. But the night before he passed, we were all we were all in his room. And, you know, we've got my brothers and his little kids and my other brother and his kids. And at this point, my exchange student daughter was back from Tunisia. So she was in town. So we got to spend, you know, a couple of days hanging out in his room, everybody, you know, taking shifts, yep. you know, yep. and, um, and then we woke up on August 7th and my brother who was doing the night shift was like, all right, guys, you better, you better show up now. Yep. And so we all just ascended upon his room and to your point earlier, it was about as perfect that's a weird word to use but it was about as perfect a death as i could picture for him yep he had nearly all of his brothers and sisters with him he had all of his kids his wife was right there with him the grandkids were all there mm -hmm. um some of his friends were there he waited for one of his friends to show up and at the time of his passing my mom was right there yep. sitting you know right there and i was on the bed at the bottom of the bed and i was holding his hand my brothers were behind me and then he just and you know how this is they let out that last breath and then it's just quiet and then everybody knows and then it was just grief slapping everybody in the face yep yep 
But to your point, how lucky am I? How lucky was he to have had that moment? You know, I got I got to hold his hand as he went. Yep. My mom was right there. Everybody was right there. And he was surrounded by people that loved him and the people who he loved the most in the world at that last moment. Mm -hmm. And I think about what's happening now and think, my God, to not be able to have that opportunity and to have that moment and to have that that uh, experience of death in this time breaks my heart. Yeah. That that people are getting robbed of having that moment with their loved ones because of what's happening with COVID nineteen. What she says there at the end about people being robbed of the opportunity to be with the people that they love that fuels me and angers me and saddens me. And Nikki has chosen to funnel that into something productive because she is, as I mentioned, a county supervisor who have people, she has people depending on her who voted for her to put her into a position to look out for them. Did they know that it was going to be a pandemic versus whether or not they got a new road? Hell no. In her role as a leader in the community, it's part of her job to make decisions on behalf of her constituents who elected her. And she has gone through the ringer trying to get people to get on board with some very, very simple options when it comes to controlling the uncontrolled COVID-19 outbreak in Iowa, because the governor and Iowa Department of Health have failed to protect the citizens. It falls to localities. There, there is a position of power when you're a supervisor, when you're a mayor, when you're a governor, whatever, that, that, I mean, it's, it's, it's idiotic to me that we're even having the conversation about masks. Yes. Well, also, that it gets to a point where two people in your town have received death threats over, you know, or yeah. similar, or in one case, a rape threat uh, because of their outspokenness uh, from a position of authority about the very real threat of the disease. And so personal accountability is not working. Reynolds won't mandate masks or DeSantis or whoever right, won't right. mandate masks. When a governor fails to protect their citizens, then it falls on the local governments. But what she's done in Iowa, which I honestly think is a unique situation, I've been looking for analogs in states where where this is happening, but can you just- So, so this is where it gets messy, right? Um, anyone who's been involved in state legislature or um, county or city government knows the term local control, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, where, it's where local municipalities or counties or what have you are, are given the freedom to enact their own um, decisions about what happens in their areas, right? And we hear a lot about it during legislative sessions and whatnot. Oftentimes, 
local control is presented when you want to pass the buck. And so it gets messy. The current situation that we're in in Iowa is that even if local municipalities or county governments or whoever wanted to enact stronger stances in regards to mask use um, to keep our constituents safe during this global pandemic, we are not able to because the governor of Iowa has made it perfectly clear that anything that we do would be null and void. That's not to say that other counties have tried enacting their own you know, mask mandate. Um, some places are and they're being challenged. It's a lack of leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we have this, you know, and I, I've said this from the middle of March, we have this incredible opportunity to do the right thing and do it quickly and do it now and nip this crap in the bud and be an example. And we've dropped the ball on so many levels. To your point about patriotism, and and I've been mulling this about, so you're in New York right now, yeah? Yep. Okay. So I've been talking about this to some friends uh, in New York as well. And I think you and I have talked about this is that, you know, how, why did they take it? Why did New York take it ultra seriously? And then we're just like, eh, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think 9-11 happened and we all are like, okay, whatever we need to do, whatever we need to do to help, you know, and, and, and we take off our shoes when we go through security at the airport and we, you know, stand in the lines and we let ourselves be patted down and whatnot. Context note. Okay. So patriotism. Nikki and I were talking about how the only thing that our generation has been asked to do in the face of COVID is sit on couches or, when going outside, wear a mask. Her dad and my dad were both drafted. They are veterans. While they didn't see battle, they still showed up when their country asked them to. Here, Nikki tells me a bit about her dad's service. And so he he went into the service and he did the the honor guard while he was in the service and he never went to Vietnam. My uncle, two of my uncles did, but he never was sent to Vietnam itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but he would be part of the honor guard that when you know guys came back. Oh wow! He help with those services, right? Um, and so I think. And he and I talked a, a, a little bit about this, about how he didn't necessarily like to be considered a vet because he didn't serve in a foreign war. You know, right. he, he thought that that honor was reserved for people who went over there. And he always had a little bit of survivor guilt is maybe the wrong term, but it's, it's in that vein. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of guilt in that he he didn't see battle and he didn't see the war itself and all of these guys his age did and you know he he lucked out right um and so he he didn't talk a lot about his time in the service i think for that reason yeah um, he was scheduled to go on the honor flight which if anyone's listening doesn't know what that is it's when Uh, a group of veterans takes a flight from, in this instance, Fort Dodge, Iowa. They take a flight, they get, you know, they get together super early in the morning. They get all their credentials together. They hop on a plane 
and then they fly into DC and then they are escorted around all of these different monuments and and places in DC you know the Vietnam Memorial the World War II Memorial etc and then you know they have like sack lunches and whatnot and then at night they come back on the flight and then when they come back the community Oh. Come to the airport, you know, super late at night, welcomes them back to great applause. In which case, you know, like guys who served in the Korean War or the Vietnam War, they didn't get that sort of reception during that time. So it's it's the other the guy who runs it here in town um, is this is this wonderful gentleman named Ron, and it's his way of giving them the hero's welcome that they should have had. So my dad was scheduled to go on one of the honor flights and then his, he, he didn't get to go because he, he passed away before it happened. And so when the next honor flight happened, in, they, they offer this option where you can take the, uh, the flag, you know, it's all in the yep. triangle. They, they yep. take the flag and they, somebody escorts the flag and a photo of the deceased and they escort them around, right? So I went that morning to the honor flight because usually I, I will help out and I'll work at that or whatever, but I knew this was a special one. I knew his flag was going to be on it. So I went there and there was a guy holding onto the flag and he said, I need to talk to you. And this, it's this guy, I know he's a city councilman. He's also happens to be my optometrist. Um, this, this man, this man named Dr. Terry Minky, this guy is everything you want in a public servant he he doesn't want to take credit for anything he does everything you know in the background he he never wants accolades and and yet he helps the community so much and he's standing there with my dad's flag and yeah. he's like i'm i'm going to be the one to take him around today and i thought man there's no better person to do it yeah so that that was the honor flight so literally the least that we could do it's wear a mask. You know, I was campaigning and then my, my dad died in the middle of the campaign, right? You know, it's August, it's right when you things start heating up where you got to start raising a bunch of money. You got to really start knocking on doors and he died during that time. And it was like, I got maybe a week to grieve. Mm. And then I knew that I had to jump back in, right? It, because, you know, my opponent wasn't stopping. Right. Um, and so I was like, well, okay, well, this will also give me something else to focus on. Right. And my dad was a, a huge supporter of mine. Like he would wear his t-shirt that said, you know, Mickey Conrad for district four, like all the time, like everybody at the nursing home was like, right. oh, you're, you know, <laughs> he's so proud of you. And I'm like, well, oh, you're wearing that shirt again. Like you need to wash it. It's got like, right. Right. Food on it. <laughs> um, and, and anyway, so, so he died August 7th. And it wasn't like the first day that I actually didn't have anything to do for a while was uh, the beginning of October. And it was a Sunday. And, and I remember waking up and being like, I don't have anything to do until like 4.30. And it was such a luxury to not have something to do. And, and so I just laid in bed and, and it was like not, have some, not having anything to busy my time was a really great thing, but it was also this terrible thing because for the first time since he died, I had the time to sit there in my grief and just let it wash completely over me. And I was a mess. Like I, I stayed in bed the entire day and I was 
doing that sobbing that you that only you you do when you're grieving yeah. where it's it's full body and it's you can't breathe and it's your you know your nose is running your eyes every you know, oh, you yes mucus yeah. coming out of like every orifice it's like when i would i would have my head down crying and it's just like tim's like it's just all it's like everything it's like snot and you just it's like the more and i was just like and i more more it's okay yeah. more yes and you're like are, aren't i gonna dry up at some point like, where does all this snot come from yes, yes. this shit been yes and so i didn't know what to do i didn't want to bother you know you, you get that weird thing where you don't want to bother anybody and so i reached out to my friend kat whose dad died several years ago and and i just started just word vomiting everything that was happening and bless her heart she had so like she was off doing stuff with her husband and she she stayed on with me the whole almost the whole day i was it, like it was so great to be able to talk to somebody who actually knew what i was going through and who wasn't just going to be like you know he's in a better place no, and no, you know no. it's going to get better you know <laughs> yeah. um and then i ended up i don't even know you know how it's like you don't know you can find the strength until you have to find the strength and i and i to this day, I think about this this whole week, and I don't know where I got the strength that I got, but I got ready, and I went to my campaign manager's house. We were doing prep for the debate. Well, it was a forum, right. but it, it's like a debate um, that was going to happen on Wednesday. And so um, I went over to her house, and she's a very dear family friend, and she she was with us when my sister died in '89. Uh, so she knows my full family history. And we had, we had talked about this before that, you know, once dad dies, I'm, I'm going to be a, a mess. Yeah. Um, and so I walked into her house and I was barely holding on and I gave her a big hug and she says, you got to get it together. And I looked at her and I was like, this is together. This is together. I am, I am like a string holding it together and bless her heart. And, you know, and then I walk in and there's all these people who are going to help me with this debate crap. And then on Wednesday night, I had to go in front of a crowd and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm competent and I'm charismatic and I, I'm great. I'm fine. It's wonderful. And I'm holding on by, you know, for dear life. It's a whole conversation of, do I bow out of it? Oh, you know, do yeah. I, do I say, you know, we can't do this and, and, you know, and there's, it's politics, there's political ramifications of every choice that you make. And so I thought, let's just get it, let's just do it, let's just get it over with, you know. And at the very least, if there is a breakdown, it's, it's, I'm human and right. it happens, right? right? Um, but I had my aunt, um, I had people in the crowd strategically placed. Right. So I had my mom in one area, my aunt was in another area, my campaign manager was another area. The the women I was running in tandem with, they were in the area. So at any point, if I needed help, I could just look and be like, look at these people who are here supporting me, breathe and get through it. Mm -hmm. And um and I, you know, I had my notes and so and I was I was prepared as I was gonna be, but it was it was the the hard part really was uh you know smiling and pretending pretending that my life wasn't crashing mm -hmm. um 
and, and, and answering questions while it was happening, you know? And so um, that I still to this day, I don't, I think it's because of the support that was there and just the, at, at one point, I will say this at one point, um, you know, there's at various points in my life, I've had, I've had great struggle. And the one thing that I've done that seems to be successful in each of the instances is you get to a point where you're just like enough is enough. I'm sick of crying. I'm sick right. of being angry or whatever. And I go in the bathroom and I look and it's, it's like, it's like every bad chick flip movie where you know they go in the bathroom and they look at in the mirror and you're like, you can do this, you know? Right. And it's, um, but I look in the mirror and you know, I'm like, you're Nikki F and Conrad. Get right. through it. You can do this. You have been through right. the ringer several times. You can do this. You're a survivor. And when I did it this time, I looked in the mirror and I said, you're, you're the daughter of Nick Conrad. Get through it. Right. And then I thought, you're the daughter of Nedra Conrad, who has been through everything you've been through in different ways. And she is still standing and you yep. can get through this. And so it's, it's just the, those little things right. to give you that little boost of strength, you know, and then at the end of the day, you come home and you hug your dog. Or you come home and you try to hug your cat, cry in your pillow, but your cat scratches you because unlike dogs, cats lightening things up to take it out. I asked Nikki a few ridiculous questions. Um, what's Iowa state bird? Oh, it's the Eastern goldfinch. Okay, good. What's your favorite planet? Um, Earth. What's your favorite cheese? And all cheeses is not acceptable. I, I would have to say, okay, uh, uh, favorite cheese. I'm gonna go with just your general goat cheese. Paper or plastic? Oh, I got, I got to choose, I want to say paper, but I got to choose plastic because I use the plastic to pick up dog poop in the backyard. What's your favorite word? Uh, cream. Ooh, strange, you freak. It, it just kind of goes off cream. I don't know, there's something to it. It starts off with a little kick and then it's like, ooh. Thank you. Thank you. This was really great. It was also, as we were talking, I was like, I don't think I told my story of, of, of dad and the whole process, uh -huh. you know, like my, my family knows and, you know, like my best friend knows, but I'm like, I haven't really told that story, especially the one about having to get up and go, you know, talk for the, the debate. And, and so it felt good to get that out. So thank you. Death doesn't have to be a taboo. It shouldn't yeah. be a taboo. Yes. And that's part of my process too. It's like, fuck this. I am going to grieve out loud mm -hmm. and, and it's okay. And guess what? Everybody can. And yeah. so that's yeah. kind of part of this, this thing that I'm trying to, um, trying to figure out and trying to do uh, with awesome. this silly podcast. I love it. I, I, I fully support it. Yay. <laughs> I'm approved. All right. Well, approved. We'll... <laughs> all right. Well, take care. Wear your mask. Thank all you. of that. Okay. Always. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks.